Well, good morning. We are moving into the um, next to last uh, session of, um, of our sermon series on Hebrews 11. Um, by faith, we're looking at these great saints mentioned in, in Hebrews 11. We've come to um, the penultimate sermon, next to last sermon. Um, the title this week is By Faith, Moses. By Faith, Moses. And we have this great account in Hebrews chapter 11 of all the way, all the ways, at least, that, that Moses was faithful when he was born. He was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Do you remember that edict that all um, Hebrew sons must be put to death? He was wary of the strength and the size of his um, servants, his slaves, the Hebrews. And he wanted to limit their strength. He didn't want them to grow. So he, he said, put them to death, but not Moses' parents. They saved this child for three months. They sent him right in the basket down the river to be picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses was raised in the palace. But the author of Hebrews goes on and he says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses in his faithfulness left the palace and the trappings of being the son of Pharaoh's daughter in order to identify and commiserate with his people and eventually to flee Egypt. And even Hebrews says that was an act of faith that he did not face the wrath of the king. And then do you remember Moses returned, right, to lead his people out of Egypt? And it was by faith that he obeyed the Lord and sprinkled the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the houses so that the, the plague, the angel of death, might not come by the Hebrew houses, but instead pass them over. It was by faith that Moses led his people to the Red Sea and through it and through the wilderness into the promised land. Moses had no shortage of faith. But it is interesting to note the occasions noted here in Hebrews for Moses' faith were all life or death situations, right? These were matters of life or death. To give up the palace and to identify with his people. To leave Egypt. These were matters of life and death for Moses. And yet in each instance, in each one of these instances for Moses, his faith won out over his fear. His faith won out over his fear. He, He was willing to follow God knowing it might surely mean his death. And yet he did so without fear because of his trust in God. And so I think we can see, at least partly, that the foundations for this faithfulness of Moses are rooted in his calling by God. Now some of these things happen before the call, some of them happen after the call, but before or after, the pivotal point is God's calling of Moses to be his servant. And in that call we see Moses' faithfulness finding its roots. So that's what we will be exploring this morning by way of Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to see three things of God that rooted Moses' faithfulness. We're going to see the Lord's transcendence. We're going to see the Lord's compassion. And we're going to see the Lord's sufficiency. His transcendence, His compassion, and His sufficiency. And it's my hope 
And my prayer that as we look at these things, they'll actually begin to sink into our hearts as well. That they wouldn't simply be the roots of Moses' faith, but they would become the roots of our faith as well. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. You know I like it when you follow along, and so hopefully some of you have your Bibles, um, or maybe you use your Bible app on your smartphone. I I think we'll probably get it up on the screen, but but no promises there. Um, But I'd like it for you to follow along for a couple of reasons. One, it, it simply helps you pay attention, I believe, and... Um, two, it helps you know that, that, that hopefully I'm telling the truth. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at Scripture together. You discern, you look, and you see what the Lord is saying in these passages as we go through them. <clears throat> so the first thing we're going to note here, Hebrew, uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, is the Lord's transcendence. The Lord's transcendence. Now when we say that God is transcendent, Um, We're saying that he is above all things, that he's above all things. Now, this is a statement about two aspects of God. It's a statement about his power, but it's also a statement about his character. To say that God is transcendent means that he has power, and in this case, we see that he has power over all things, but it's also a statement about his character, who he is, and what it says is that God's actions are, are righteous. He is a holy God. He is without fault. His character is impeccable. And so his transcendence is about his power, but it's also about his character. Let's read Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. And then the Lord said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord's transcendence. Well, in this case, God's power... Is seen, God, excuse me, God's transcendence is seen, um, number one, in his presence. The very fact that God is there in this place speaks to his transcendence. The fact that he can be everywhere at all times. God is a transcendent God. The, the text is, is, is driving us to realize that Moses is a very, very long way from home. So he's a shepherd. He's keeping his father-in-law's sheep. And he led the flock um, not only to the wilderness, right? But he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness. It's like he got to the wilderness and kept going to the other side of it. Okay? He is a long way from home. And he comes to Mount Horeb, which by all accounts would be like any other mountain in the wilderness of the Sinai Peninsula. It was probably dusty and rocky, barren and dry. And and right there on this mountain is this, this thorn bush. And that's no unique sight, except for one thing. This thorn bush was on fire, and it was not being consumed. 
And that caught Moses' attention. And we come to learn that actually in this burning bush is the very presence of God. Now for Moses, that would have been an amazing thing. Um, in those days, gods were thought to be confined to certain areas. Um, and, and Moses certainly would have been in the land probably of Egypt, Egypt's gods, um, not the Hebrew god. And so what is this god doing in, in this place? But the reality is the very presence of God on that mountain in the Sinai Peninsula, the very presence of God as Moses goes back into Egypt, the presence of God through the Red Sea in the wilderness and into the Promised Land and into His holy temple is a testament to God's transcendence. He is everywhere at all times in all places. That is a powerful God that can do that, a transcendent God. Um, the second thing we see here, and this is a testament to God's character, God's transcendence is seen in his interactions with Moses. We see it in his interactions with Moses. What, Moses does a couple things as he approaches God, right? First thing, he gets closer, um, and God says, whoa, 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 stop. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And so Moses takes off his shoes, his sandals, and he he approaches God. And God says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And how does Moses respond? He hides his face, right? He's like like this. Once he realizes, it's like this aha moment, what what and who he's talking to, he, he hides his face out of fear. Why would he be afraid? Because he had come into the presence of a holy and transcendent God. Moses is a sinful man. He's just very recently um, killed a man in Egypt, right? And here he is standing before God. And he's afraid because God is holy and perfect and righteous. And Moses is not. This is typical in these calls of, of prophets. For instance, in Isaiah the prophet Isaiah is, is called up in a vision into the throne room of God. And he sees God in his glory and his splendor. And he, he cries out, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. Isaiah thought he was dead. Because he in his unholiness had come in the presence of a holy God. And so we see God's transcendence and how he interacts with Moses. Moses is a sinful, sinful man, not worthy to be in the presence of God. And God is is holy and mighty and majestic, and he's meeting with Moses here on this mountain. So Moses has before him a transcendent God. And it's important to mention that Moses' natural reaction, like we said, and it's just like ours, we would have the same reaction, is fear. He is afraid of God. And so what is it about this God that at the end of the story, Moses wouldn't be trembling with fear or struck dead, but would actually be, be following this God back into Egypt to call the Hebrews out of there? What is it about God that would cause Moses to do that? It's not only his transcendence, it is also his compassion. We see here that we have a compassionate God. Now, Throughout history, there have been plenty of stories or accounts of gods who are transcendent but not compassionate. Do you remember the Greek gods and goddesses, right? Like um, Zeus, 
for instance, there's others. Um, they were transcendent and they were powerful, but they weren't compassionate. They used people for their own pleasure and their own glory. They, they, they had little care for the people of the world. They only had care for themselves. They were transcendent but not compassionate. But the Lord, the Lord in the bush is not only transcendent and powerful, but He's, he's compassionate. And in this compassion, we see God's concern and His faithfulness. Let's read verses 7 to 9 of chapter 3. Um, so Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And what does God say? Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the plates of a bunch of ites, Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Um, So two things here. Um, The Lord's compassion is revealed in his concern for his people. This is a God who cares about us, who looks down on his people, and he sees them enslaved, and he sees them separated from God. He is concerned about their predicament, and he comes down to meet with Moses so that he might save his people. God is concerned about us. He's concerned for his people. The Lord's compassion is also revealed in his faithfulness to his promises, right? God doesn't say, I'm going to save you from Egypt. He says, I'm going to save you from Egypt and what? And I'm going to deliver you to the land I promised. I'm going to deliver you to the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to deliver you to the land that I showed to your father Abraham, that that your father Isaac, your father Jacob got to see I'm going to take it and I'm going to give it to you and it will be yours. That's what God had promised. A holy land for this people. And in his concern, he's not only only coming down compassionately out of concern, but he's coming down compassionately out of faithfulness. He's a compassionate God because he has concern for his people because he is faithful to his promises. And so Moses sees this God who is somehow both transcendent and compassionate. And this God calls Moses to an impossible task. Look at verse 10. So God says, I'm going to fulfill my promises. Come, I will send you, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Do you realize What a monumental task. What an impossible task that must have seemed like for Moses. Moses knew Pharaoh. He knew the palace. He knew the people that would likely kill him on the spot. And even then, would the people that God sent him to even want to come? Who is this Moses? Why should we follow him? How is this going to happen? How can I possibly do this, Moses would ask. How, why would these people even follow me? But what Moses comes to realize is that this mission doesn't really depend on him at all. 
Moses is simply a tool through which God is going to accomplish his purposes. Any of you like to bake with your children? I've used this before, but maybe some of you don't remember. Any of you like to bake cookies with your kids or your grandkids? Yeah, that's fun, right? Um, How does it usually go? Like younger kids, how does that, you know, does it work out okay? Is it tricky? You know, you know, maybe yelling or like, don't touch that. Why would you bake cookies with a bunch of cookie eaters? <laughs> Your task isn't making cookies, is it? That's a byproduct. Your task is getting closer to your kids. Your task is showing them your love. That's what you're doing. That's what God's doing with us. He's using Moses, but there's other ways he could have gotten. I mean, he easily could have struck dead all the Egyptians and and said, okay, guys, you're free to go. But, But he's using Moses to show who he is, his transcendence and his compassion and his concern. He doesn't need Moses, but he wants to work and use, work with and use Moses for his purposes. So verses 10 to 14. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you, that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. But then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to him, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, They will ask me, what is his name, and what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What we're seeing is the Lord's sufficiency. The Lord's sufficiency, and it's revealed in two questions that Moses asks. And the first question Moses asks is, he says, who am I? Who am I to go into Egypt? Who am I to call these people out? Now, if you were um, disciples of Stuart Smalley, do you remember him? The self-help guru on Saturday Night Live. If you read self-help books, God might look at you and say, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. (laughs) But here's the deal. You're not good enough, and you're not smart enough, and frankly, not everybody likes you. What does God say? He says, I will be with you. Moses says, who am I? And God says, I am with you. It doesn't matter who you are. I am. And so Moses says, well, that's fine. But who who are you? You're going to be with me, and I'm going to go down, and I'm going to tell these people, okay, give up everything you've got and come with me. And the Egyptians, they'll leave us alone, right? No, they're going to kill us. Why would they come with me? Who am I to say that you are? And God says, I am who I am. I am who I am. If you ask me who I was, I'd say, well, I am Tyler. I'm a husband. I'm a father, I'm a priest in God's church. The very highest thing I could say about myself, and it's a glorious thing to say, but the very highest thing I could say about myself is I am a child of God. 
But you see, I need things to identify myself. God doesn't. He is sufficient. What should I tell them your name is? He says, tell them I am has sent you to me. God is. God was. He is. And he always will be. This is essential for us to remember. Nations of this world will rise and fall. Leaders and presidents will come and go. They are mere drops in a bucket of history. All of us in this room will be gone, mostly, I guess, in a hundred years. But God is. God always will be. We're nothing compared to God. But he's compassionate. And so through his son, Jesus Christ, he's, he's taken us from broken, sinful, distressed people, and he has brought us into a living relationship with him. And as we look around and we cry out to God, Lord, what is happening to our world? He has compassion on us. And one day he will come down again. And all the tears and all the evil and all of our sin be completely wiped away through the power of Jesus Christ and this transcendent, compassionate, and perfectly sufficient God will dwell among us and we'll praise him night and day. There'll be no more tears and no more pain, but only joy and life everlasting. Let's pray.